the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 5, and we're going to be dealing with a larger uh, text here this morning. Uh, we're going to be starting here in verse number 1, and I'm going to read down to verse number 20. And this will be our text for today for our sermon. And the Bible says, And they came unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, and he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about two thousand. And they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it, what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion setting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we ask for your blessing, Lord, upon the remainder of this service. God, as we prepare our hearts to receive your word, God, I pray that you would, Lord, just bless this preaching time. Lord, as we gather around your word this morning, God, I pray that our hearts would be humble and teachable. And God, that our hearts would be receptive to the truth before us. God, what an incredible account this is. God, where we see the power and the authority of Christ once again on full display. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with me as I preach and as I teach this morning. God, just help me to be clear with my words and with my thoughts and help me, Lord, to faithfully uh, exposit your word. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would just help, uh, Lord, each one of us to go away changed this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, many of which in this room can testify, Lord, of how the gospel has changed their life. God, and how your word has transformed them and how they were once captive to Satan. Lord, but you have set them free by your power, Lord, through the gospel. And God, we thank you for that reality. 
And God, I pray that we'd go forth and that we'd publish that great news, that we'd go and tell our friends and our family what of all the great things that you've done for us. God, help us now, I pray, Lord. Give us understanding through your word. And God, help us to apply your word to our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we were here in Mark chapter number 4, finishing up uh, the account where Christ and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee. Um, again, on the way, they went through the storm where Jesus taught. He was, number one, testing the faith of his disciples. Uh, they didn't pass the test, but through the failure of that test, again, he taught them an, an important lesson on faith, on trusting in God in spite of storms that we may go through. And as we come to chapter number five, we find that just as Jesus said, they made it to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Take a look at verse number one here. The Bible says, and they came over into the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, the Bible here refers to this area. You can kind of see it on the map. It's kind of, I don't know if you can see the names of the cities right here. But here's the region right in here where Christ is going. All right, So they crossed the sea and they landed right about here in an area that the Bible refers to as the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes. And it's referring to the same thing in Matthew. It refers to it as the Gergesenes. Um, in, in Luke and in Mark, it refers to it as the Gadarenes. And the reason for that is because you have the city and the towns of Gadara and Gergesa within uh, this area, they were two of the cities and towns in an area known as Decapolis. Now, the word Decapolis means ten cities or ten towns. And there were ten cities and ten towns. And these happen to be two of those. And this region, is again, can be referred uh, using either name. The Gadarenes, the Gergesenes. There's not a contradiction here between Matthew and Mark and Luke. Again, it's referring to the same area. All right, It's referring to the same vicinity in which Christ and his disciples have just passed over and have just landed. But as we'll see as we work our way through uh, Mark chapter number five, we find here that Jesus had a purpose in going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. All right, he didn't have anything better to do, so he decided, again, he didn't just decide to get on a boat and travel. No, there was a purpose. Again, there is a man on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Again, there is a man that is in spiritual bondage. There's a man that is under satanic oppression and influence who needs deliverance by the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to seek this man out. Jesus Christ in crossing the Red Sea is on a rescue mission. He is on a rescue mission. Again, I think I said Red Sea. I mean Sea of Galilee. But he is on a rescue mission to deliver this man from the bondage of Satan in his life. And there's three things I want us to see here, beginning with verses number one, uh, down to verse number five. And the first thing we find here is a profile of this man who is chained as a prisoner of Satan. He is chained as a prisoner of Satan. Take a look at verse number one. The Bible says, and they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that, he had oft been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. 
All right, so Jesus sought this man out. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to rescue this man who was in bondage. And we find here a profile of a man who is under satanic influence and who is in spiritual bondage. You could say that he is in Satan's prison. He is chained and no, not with physical chains, but the chains of sin and that are within his life. So let's consider a couple of things about this man, beginning with his dwelling place. In verses 2 and verse number 3, we find that as Jesus came out of the ship, it says this man came to meet him, this man with an unclean spirit, and this man came out of the tombs. Now, oftentimes, again, what the Hebrews would do is they would, again, bury their dead in, in natural or artificial caverns or caves, again, away from the cities and towns in desolate places. All right, so they would find areas where you'd have natural caverns or caves or, or they would uh, make some of their own in order to bury their dead. And not really a habitable place. Not really a place where many people want to go to in order to build a house and to live and, and abide there. But we find here that here is a man who doesn't live in the city and towns of the people. This is a man who lives in an unclean place. This is a man who lives in an area again, where the dead are buried. In a very interesting place, a very unique place. In a place that would be unclean, considered unclean by the Jewish people. In where their dead would be buried. This man here lived... In, in an area that was controlled, again, that, that was under, really, that you could call it the shadow of death. Again, and, and just a side note I want to insert into here is, again, we find this man is dwelling amongst the tombs. He is dwelling where the dead are. And again, even in our day, you know, we, we and the Bible teaches this as well, that there is, we see it in the life of this man, that there is a connection between satanic bondage and influence and a, and a fascination with death and darkness. All right. Again, people of the light are not fascinated with death and darkness. Death is a curse. Death is not natural. Death is an enemy. But in Jesus, we have victory over it. All right. Christian people, again, ought not be infatuated with the darkness and spiritual darkness. And again, death. Proverbs 8.36 says, all they that hate me love death. Again, and how true that is. And I think this is something I just want to point out briefly. This is interesting because we see this within our own culture. Again, you can look back upon American history, and especially the past, say, 25 to 50 years, and you can see that as our nation has moved away from God, again, we have become a pagan nation. We have become a pagan nation that is fascinated with death and with darkness and with the occult. And again, there's, there's a rise of, of Wicca and witchcraft and astrology and tarot cards. Again, these things are coming back into practice in America, whereas biblical Christianity is being set aside. And the reason for that is because that is exactly what happens when men reject the light of God's word. They embrace darkness. They embrace death. They embrace bondage. They embrace occultism. And again, things that are ungodly. And again, things that are in contrast with the light of God's word. So we see this man's dwelling place. Secondly, we see his demonic bondage. The Bible tells us here that this man has an unclean spirit. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 28, it puts it this way. It says he was possessed with devils. He was possessed with devils. 
We often refer to people as being demonically possessed. And again, oftentimes we don't, within our American mindset, we don't even think of this, but I think it's a lot more common than we realize. Again, and especially as our nation drifts away from the light of God's word, you're going to see more and more of this within our nation. Again, people who are possessed by demons, people who are under the influence and controlled by demonic spirits. Ephesians 2 verse 2 tells us that Satan worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan worketh in the children of disobedience. All right. Again, he has them under his control. Again, they are they are following after him. They are in his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Oh, they think they're free, but actually they are in bondage. They're in bondage to sin. They're in bondage, again, to to the spiritual darkness that Satan has them in. Hebrews 2, verse 14 through 15, speaks to the fact that, that Satan holds us in bondage through the fear of death. He holds us in bondage, again, before we receive the light of the gospel. So we find this man here, again, he, was, he is not just your ordinary uh, person. No, this man, as one commentator uh, worded it, referred to him as Satan's prized exhibit. I mean, this man was not just influenced by demons— was not just influenced by Satan, he was controlled by Satan. He was possessed by demons. And not just one demon, many demons, the Bible teaches us. All right, so we find that this is the worst of the worst. I mean, if you, if you want to go out and you want to find the person that is in the worst spiritual condition, the about as far away as you can get from God, it is this guy right here. Again, if you want to, if you want to see the profile of a person... That is under complete domination of Satan. It is this person right here. Satan's prized exhibit. I think that's the reason why Jesus sought this man out instead of others. Because Jesus was about to show that he had power and he had authority to deliver this man. Again, to to deliver and to transform Satan's prized exhibit. The worst of the worst. This man who not only had one demon, but many demons, Jesus could help him. Society couldn't help him. Again, his friends and his family couldn't help him. But there's one who could help him, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was about to show his power, his authority in the life of this person. So we see the demonic bondage that he is in. We also see his defiled behavior. His defiled behavior, Luke 8.27, again, inserts in the same passage here, again, that this man wear no clothes. All right, this man had no shame, no shame, and again, being publicly uncovered. Again, and as you go back, you study pagan cultures, again, it was the same way. As people move away from God, they, they lose the ability to blush. They lose the shame of nakedness. All right. After the fall, God clothed Adam and Eve. All right. But as you see a nation that is departing from the word of God, what do you see? You see a a rapid, again, moving away from modesty, from covering, again, from, again, living in such a way that is honoring to God. But today, again, there's no shame. We see that all around us in our society. You know, we live in a culture that is not marked by modesty, but is marked by vulgarity. So consider the fact also that this man was unrestrainable. 
Again, another characteristic of this man, his defiled behavior, he was unrestrainable. The Bible says in verses 3 through 4, no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So this tells us, again, that there were probably people who came along and they tried to bind this man. They tried to put him in chains. They tried to put him in fetters in order to keep him from hurting himself and hurting others. But the Bible says they couldn't. It says because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. All right, again, he had some sort of supernatural strength, again, where he could break the fetters. He could break the chains. Men tried to bind him. Men tried to restrain him. Men tried to tame him. Men tried to reform him, but they couldn't. And you see the profile, again, of really any lost person. Again, someone who is under the influence of Satan, they are often unrestrainable. Again, as people depart from God and as people, again, reject the light of God's word and they become more and more under the influence of Satan, again, they become more and more unrestrainable. All right? Whenever a society rejects the light of God's word, guess what happens? They become a lawless society. They turn to anarchy. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. There's no fear of God. There's no respect for authority. Again, men become lawless. Men become unrestrained. Society tries to step in, and what do they do? They put them in prison. Take them off the streets, which may have some positive effects. But ultimately, what happens? Usually, they come out the other side, you know, a better criminal, a smarter criminal. They, they stay in prison for 20 years, and they get out, and they're just a smarter criminal whenever they come out of prison. The prison system, the prison, putting them behind bars and in chains, again, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't do anything to change their unrestrainable behavior, to change their nature, to change who they really are on the inside. And again, I'm, I'm thankful Again, that there's places where, where criminals can be put, but at the same time, again, men can try to restrain people, but that cannot change the nature of a person. You know, the community tried to can't, can't reform him. They tried. They tried to help him. They tried to intervene. They tried to, again, put him in chains and put him in fetters. Yeah, but mere reformation couldn't help this man. Okay? Again, mere reformation could not change this man from the inside out. What this man needed was not the help of men, was not the help of society. What this man needed was the help of God. What this man needed in his life was the power of God, which alone could change him from the inside out. Which alone could take somebody that was untamable and unrestrainable and turn him and transform him instantly. And to somebody who is self-controlled and gentle and meek and quiet. And we'll see that in just a bit. Matthew 8, 28 says he was exceeding fears so that no man might pass that way. He was a terror to others. Verse 5 says, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. All right, so not only did he terrorize others, but he harmed himself. And he would lacerate himself. He would, he, would, he would hurt himself with sharp stones. And that's, that's recognizing the fact that, again, again, as he was under the influence of Satan, again, he was doing the exact uh, thing that Satan wanted him to do. He was harming himself. 
Self-harm is demonic in nature. Self-harm is demonic in nature. Satan tries to get people to destroy the bodies that God has given us that were created to bring glory to God. Right? But Satan will do all that he can to get people to destroy these bodies, to destroy these temples that we have. As we look at the life of this person, what do we see? We see a man who's, who, who is under the destructive power of Satan. And we see the destructiveness that happens when men give in to the influence of Satan within their life. John 10, verse 10. The Bible says, The thief, that's Satan, cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's Satan's intention in the lives of men, in the lives of humanity. To steal, to kill, to destroy. But the verse goes on. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. First Peter 5, verses 8 through 9. Be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, Satan's intention is to destroy mankind. Why? Because mankind is made in the image of God and mankind is redeemable through the power of the gospel. Mankind can be redeemed and be reconciled back to God again by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Satan will work overtime to make sure again that men stay in bondage. That they stay blinded to the light of the gospel truth. And that they stay in the state that even this man is. That we find here in Mark chapter number 5. But thankfully, the account doesn't end there. Let's continue on. Verse number 6 down to verse number 17. The Bible says, or verse, uh, I think I'll read down to verse 15 actually. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was a great, there, there were nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And we'll pick up with the next verses in, in just a moment. But we find, first of all, we find the confrontation, the confrontation with, with the demons. So we find this man here under the control of Satan. When he saw Christ, he ran to him, and the Bible says he worshipped him. All right, he didn't run to Christ in a sense of rage, but with a sense of reverence again how could that be well first of all take note of the fact that this reverence was not motivated by a heart of repentance our fallen angels demons cannot repent all right so again it was not motivated by a by a heart of repentance it was motivated by a rightful view of who jesus was you see these demons when they saw jesus christ they knew exactly who he was they knew of his power, they knew of his authority, they knew of his sovereignty, and they recognized him. And that is why they, they ran to him, cried out to him, using the voice of the man, and said this, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, 
thou son of the most high God. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, if you remember back to Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 3, you find similar responses. When Jesus encountered other people that were also demon-possessed. Consider Mark 1, when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, verses 23 and 24. It says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, thou Holy One of God. And in Mark 3.11, the Bible says, And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. You see, Satan is not an atheist. All right, the demons are not atheists. They know who Jesus Christ is. They know who God is. James says in James 2.19, the devils believe and they tremble. That is why oftentimes when they ran to Christ, again, they, they, they pleaded with him, please don't torment us. Why would they say that? Because they know that their judgment is coming. Because the demons know that the day will come when Jesus Christ, the rightful judge, will cast them into the eternal lake of fire forever with Satan as well. And they'll be cast off into the eternal abyss, into the lake of fire, to suffer and be tormented for eternity. So the demons come. Again, they they tremble before Christ. They recognize who he is. They recognize that he is the Son of God. They know his authority. They know his power. And they know that Jesus is the one who will judge them one day. But we also see in verse 5 the casting out of the demons. Jesus said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. But he also asked him a question. He said, What is thy name? And he, speaking of the demon, speaking through the man, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, what does that mean? My name is Legion, for we are many. The word Legion, it's... it's uh, Again, in Bible times, it was used to refer to a Roman legion or a Roman grouping of soldiers. And a legion of soldiers could be upwards of 6,000 soldiers. Now, again, I'm not implying that this man has 6,000 demons. But what I'm implying and what this, this verse here is implying is the fact that this man had many demons. Again, he had, for example, we find here, I mean, he, he sent out the demons and it went into 2,000 swine, 2,000 pigs. And that tells you, again, maybe that was the number of the demons. Again, we don't know for sure, but we know that it was a lot of demons that controlled this man. But consider here, really interesting, verses 10 through 12, consider the request of the demons. Here's what they said. And he besought him that he would not send them away out of the country. All right, They didn't want to give up their stronghold on this, on this eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. They control this area. They influence the lives of the people in this area. So they didn't want to be sent out of the country, out of this area. But notice here. It says, Now there was a herd, or there was nine to the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, 
and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. So Jesus permitted them to leave. He gave them leave. They, they left the man, and they entered into a, a herd of swine, a large herd of swine. A large herd of swine went crazy. They, they ran off the side of a sea cliff, and they, they went into the sea, and they drowned in the waters of the sea. And it shows you the severity, the oppression that this man was under. Again, to have all these demons within him. But take a look at verse 15 here. And we find here something that is fascinating. All right, after the demons are cast out of this man, again, Jesus has, has, has shown great compassion to him. He has displayed his power in this man's life. But notice here, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, setting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. In the parallel account in Matthew 8, 34, it says, Behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Right, the power of Christ was on full display in the life of this man. All right, Jesus sought out Satan's prized exhibit, this man living in the tombs. All right, this man that society thought was hopeless. Again, there was no hope for this man, so much so that they drove him out of society. Again, they couldn't restrain him. They couldn't reform him. They couldn't help him. He would harm himself. He would terrorize others. Surely there's no hope for this man. We find that Jesus sought out this man in particular to show his power and to show his authority, even over the demonic realm, to show his power in order to change the life of a man such as this, who was under the influence and under the control of Satan and his bondage. Only God could do such a thing. And you look at the transformation in this man's life. Again, he is a, he is a new person. In an instant, he was changed. Before he was wild and he was fierce and he was uncontrollable, but now he is gentle and he is clothed and he is quiet and he is self-controlled. What happened? He met the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is all that had to happen. He had a, he had a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and everything was changed in his life. He was a new creature in Christ. He was a new man. The Bible says here, he was seated. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. He was sober. All right, this man here had been delivered by the power of Christ. Christ not only saved him, delivered him from the destructive power of sin and of Satan's bondage, but he also transformed him into a new person. The people marveled as they came and saw this man. How could this be? Again, who knows how many years he was in this state where he was where he was oppressed and, again, controlled by these demons. Again, people probably knew of this man. Probably at one time he lived in the city. Maybe at one time he had a job. And maybe at one time, again, he lived with his family and with his friends. But at some point, again, he was driven out of society because of Satan's power within his life. Can you imagine being these people? And they come and they, they, they see Jesus with this man. This man is no longer you know, harming himself. 
He is no longer crying out and terrorizing others. He is no longer destructive and unrestrainable and untamable. No, he has changed. He is gentle. He is quiet. He is self-controlled. He is different. He is in, he is clothed. He is in his right mind. And here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The evidence of God's saving power in this man's life is that he was permanently changed, not reformed, not restrained by society, but that he was regenerated. He was changed from the inside out. He had a new heart. He had a new nature. He was a new person. He was a new creature because he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what a saving encounter with Christ will do to every person again, who meets Christ. Every person who is saved by the power of Christ is a new creature. All things passed away. All things become new. When Jesus saves us, he changes us. He transforms us. He delivers us. He makes us new creatures in Christ. Society can't help you. Mankind may try to restrain you, but that can't do anything either. No, again, those who are outside of Christ, what do they need? They need a new nature. They need a new heart. They need spiritual heart surgery, a heart transplant. And only Jesus Christ can, can do that in their life. And when men respond in repentance and faith towards Christ, that is exactly what happens. Again, people look at their life and they wonder, what happened to you? Again, you were once like this. You were once unrestrainable. You were once bound by sin. You once blasphemed God and now you're praising God. Again, now you're self-controlled. Now you're, you're a totally new person. Again, and what, how do you respond to something like that? Say, it's not because of me. Again, I didn't do it. It's because of him. It's because of Christ. He gets all the glory. Again, he has saved me. And he has delivered me. And he has changed me. You know what's going to happen? People will look at a person like this and they'll, they'll marvel. They may be afraid and wonder, you got, what happened to you? You're a different person. But that's what the gospel does. That is what the gospel of grace does. It not only saves us, but it changes us. And we see that in the life of this person. In Acts 26, 18, it speaks to the gospel here, how the gospel opens the eyes of the lost. It turns them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. Again, that doesn't mean that every lost person is, is as, again, as far gone as this person. All right. Now, Jesus chose the worst of the worst to show that he can save anyone. Again, even this guy who has, who has a legion of demons within him. All right? And if he can save this guy, he can save anyone. All right. But guess what happens? That's what the gospel does. Again, unbelievers, their eyes are open. They're turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith. That's in Acts 26, 18. But before we move on, I want to take a look at two more verses here. Take a look at verse 16 and 17. 
And I just I don't want to skip over this because this is uh, again in, in how again this is a, a, such an exciting passage here. To see how this man's life is changed by by the grace of God, by the power of Jesus. But here's a very sad some sad verses right here, verses 16 through 17. Says, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Luke 8 37. The parallel passage says, And the whole multitude of the country, the gatherings round about, besought him, speaking of Jesus, besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now, you would think that these townspeople, that the sheep herders, that after seeing such an incredible miracle of God, I mean, they, they just saw this man's life transformed in an instant. How could this be but by the power of God? You would think that that revival would break out, right, in this town. You would think that these people would run to Christ and, again, believe upon him as their Lord and Savior. Would repent and, and receive him as the Messiah. That's what you would think they would do. And you would think that they would come and that they would bow down and that they would worship Christ and that they would honor him and exalt him and praise him and follow him. Because of the transformation they have seen in this man's life. But is that what they did? And sadly, it's not. And they come to Jesus, and what do they say to Jesus? They say, leave, depart, get out of our country, get out of our towns. They besought him, they, they pleaded with him to leave. And what a tragedy that is. Instead of revival, there was rejection. They didn't want Christ. And this, this, this dispels the commonly held notion that all men need to believe in Christ is a miracle. No, they don't. Plenty of people saw miracles in the days of Christ, and they still rejected him. Right, so miracles won't do it. No, these people chose to remain in unbelief, and therefore they rejected Christ. And in rejecting Christ, Christ would reject them on the day of judgment. But look here. Again, we see here that Christ, it says he went into the ship, he returned back again. Christ took them at, at, at their word. They, they asked Christ to leave, so he left. He wasn't going to stay where he was not welcome. Christ would not force himself upon these people. No, if they wanted him gone, he would go. He would leave. And he did leave. And how sad that is. That these people witnessed the light of Christ. These people witnessed the, the delivering power of Christ. Yet they still rejected him. They didn't want him in their midst. They stood in awe at his power, yet they chose to remain condemned in their unbelief. And in the Gospels, we find that there's many places where Christ went, and he would pass on because of their unbelief. There were towns where Jesus would go to, and he couldn't do many mighty works there because of the people's unbelief. You're going to think about our own day and age. Again, Christ is not going to stay where he is not wanted, where he is not welcomed. Or he is not received. Again, it's to those who have ears to hear. It's to those who have willing and obedient hearts that Christ pours his spirit out upon them. But not to those who reject them. Again, not to those who turn a deaf ear to his words. Christ says, you want it your way? You want to remain in your unbelief? 
You want to remain in your state of condemnation? You can have it. He'll, he'll move on somewhere else. He'll move, he'll move on to, to somebody else who, who is desiring the mercy of God, who wants to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and praise him for his mercy. Let's take a look at a few more verses here. The third point. We find this man is, number first of all, he was chained in, in Satan's prison. He was changed by the power of the Savior. And then lastly, he was commissioned to proclaim salvation. Take a look at verse 18. We find, first of all, the request of the man. It says, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. So this demon-possessed man, former demon-possessed man, has now been made free, has now experienced the power of Christ in his life, and he wants to be with Christ. He wants to stay with Christ. He wants to get in a boat with Christ and go where he goes. Christ is going to go back to the other side, and he's going to go to different places all around the Sea of Galilee. And this man says, can I stay with you? Can I travel with you? Can I, can I abide where you abide? That's a good request. That's a good desire to have. Honestly, that, that, is, that is evidence of the new life within this man that he wanted to be with Christ. That is evidence that he had been changed by, by the power of Christ. He wanted to follow him. He wanted to be with him. He wanted to abide with him. And that is a good request, a good desire. But notice here how, how Jesus responds. Verses 19 through 20. It says, How be it, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. How great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. As good as this man's desire was, he wanted to get in the boat with Christ and you know leave leave the gatherings and go travel with Christ to the western side and the, all, all the other areas he was going to, and just be with him, live with him, abide with him. That was a good request, a good desire. But Jesus refused his request. Jesus did not allow him to come with him. And why is that? Because Jesus wanted him to stay. And he may have been the only light, the only witness, the only, you could say, believer, the only follower of Christ on that east side of the Sea of Galilee in those towns. And Jesus said, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. Go home. Go to your friends. Go to your family. Go to those who know you and tell them what I have done for you. Spread the good news that you have been delivered. You can share with others. Publish abroad what has happened in your life. Don't keep it to yourself. You are more useful staying here than coming with me. This place needs a light, and you are that light. This place needs a witness of what, the, of what the power of Christ can do in a man's life. And you're that witness. Go home. Go to your friends. Tell them what I have done for you. Jesus gave him a commission to go and proclaim the good news of deliverance. To, to proclaim the good news of what Jesus can do in, in people's lives. And we find here that this man obeys him. He goes. He publishes abroad in all Decapolis. How great things Jesus had done for him. And the Bible says the men did marvel at this. 
You know, and this is a good reminder for us too. The Apostle Paul, for example, I don't have the verses in front of me, but the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, remember he was in that, he was in that, the Bible says that straight betwixt two, right? He, was in, he had that desire to be with part, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But then he said, to abide and to remain with you is far more needful. So the Apostle Paul was nearing the end of his life, again, nearing the end of his ministry. And he said, you know, I have a desire to go be with Christ. I want to go to heaven. You know, I, I want to be with my Savior. I, I want to dwell with him. But for you, it's more needful that I abide here. It's more needful that I stay. Why? Because God has a job for me to do. And it's the same for all of us. Again, as long as we are here upon this earth, every believer has a job to do. God has not just left you here to twiddle your thumbs, right? God has not left you here just to, just to pass time and wait. One day I'll be with Christ. He has left you here for a purpose. He has left you here to go, to go home, to go to your friends, to go to your family, to, to, to go to your co-workers, to go to those that know you, and to, to tell them what Christ has done in your life, to share with them what the gospel has done. To share with them how Jesus has changed you. And to publish abroad the good news that Jesus can set the captives free. Jesus can set the captives free. And the gospel alone transforms lives. Again, whenever Jesus saves, again, Jesus transforms, Jesus delivers. Again, when people humble themselves before Almighty God. When they repent of their sins and they place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider this. A very important truth. First of all, again, we recognize this life is short. Eternity is a long time. Those that are outside of Christ, the wrath of God abides upon them. But there is mercy and forgiveness and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is extended to anyone and everyone who will come and who will say, yes, God, I am a sinner. God, I hate the sin that I have committed that nailed you to the cross. And God, I want to turn my back upon that. And I want to follow you and trust in Christ and his perfect sacrifice, his once for all sacrifice. Placing your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, not, not some religious ritual you've gone through. Again, not Christian heritage, but Christ and Christ alone. Again, trusting in him and his perfect sacrifice. And the Bible says God will extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, and, and he will deliver you not just from the penalty of sin, but also he will make you a new creature in Christ. All things will be passed away. All things will become new to those who believe the gospel. Again, for, for believers today, again, let me remind you that Jesus has saved you. And in saving you, he has delivered you from Satan's dominion. He has delivered you from Satan's power within your life. And my admonition to you is don't go back to, uh, to that place. Don't go back to the tombs. Don't go wandering in the tombs where Christ delivered you from. Don't go back to that sin that Christ has set you free from. Here's what the Bible says to believers. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. No fellowship. Not a little bit, but what about, what about this Lord or what about that Lord? Can I just have a little bit? That says no fellowship. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That word fellowship means to be a partaker of, 
Again, to share in company with, to participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. No, don't go back to that. Don't participate in that. Don't, don't, share, don't, don't share in that with, with unbelievers. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't go back to sin. Don't go back to the slavery that you have been purchased out of. Can believers are people of the light. We are not people of darkness. All right, so again, live in such a way. Live in such a way that, that emanates the light and, and, and radiates the, the, the light of Christ in your life and the light of truth. Not darkness. And not sin. And not, not the, the demonic world system in, it, in which we live. Let me also remind you that Jesus has saved you out of the world. He has equipped you with his word to go back into the world and to rescue as many as you can. He has called you to go back as a firefighter rushes into a burning building to save whoever is in, who is therein. So God has called us to do the same. We're to go into the, into the burning, again, building of the world, you could say, and rescue as many as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go and share this good news. To share with others what Christ has done for us. And that they can have the same. That they can be saved, that they can be forgiven, that they can be justified and reconciled to a holy God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, and are you being faithful? Again, Jesus told him to go and he went. He didn't have to convince him. Jesus said, go home, tell your friends. And what does it say? He began to, he, he went home. He told his friends. He published it throughout Decapolis. He obeyed his Lord's bidding. He obeyed his Lord's will. He did what God had called him to do. I want to ask parents, again, are you teaching your children, grandparents, your, your grandchildren, the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is the greatest thing you can give them. And better than any material or financial thing you could give them, the most important gift you give a child is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel. The truth of scripture. That can save them from a life of sin. And from the, from the heartache of sin and from the grief of sin that many have experienced in this life. And I want to ask you, are you reaching those, uh, those around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, that's the most loving thing we can do. Now, the world usually doesn't see it as loving, but that is the most loving thing we can do with an unbeliever is to share the gospel. You know, and the truth of the gospel, it hurts. It, it offends the pride of man. For men to admit, yes, I'm a sinner. My good works won't get me into heaven. Yeah, that's, that's a humbling reality to admit. And I've seen many people that I've witnessed who just, just bristle against that truth. And, and you can see how they, they, they don't like that. Uh, they, the, the, their pride is being injured by the truth of God's word. Again, but it's, it's essential. Men must, you know, realize that, that, that they are lost. They have to hear the hard diagnosis before you can give them the cure of the gospel. But are we being faithful? That is the most loving thing we can do for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, our coworkers, our community, is to share the light of the gospel. Is to share that Jesus has come and he has made it all. He, again, through his death, he has done everything required for anyone to be saved. If they will repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And God, we just thank you for this account, Lord, here in Mark 5 today, Lord.
And God, we thank you, Lord, that as we look at the life of this man who has been, who was delivered by the power of Christ. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are still doing that today, Lord. God, that you are still delivering men from the bondage of Satan. And Lord, from sin in this life, God, through the power of your word and through the power of the gospel. And God, I pray, Lord, God, that if anyone in here, maybe they've, maybe they've never truly repented and believed the gospel, God, then I pray today would be that day, Lord. God, when they would call upon Christ to save them from their sins. And they would become a new creature in Christ. God, I pray for believers here this morning. God, I pray that they would respond in their hearts to this truth. God, I pray that we would never grow weary of telling others about the gospel. I pray we would never, Lord, get to a place where the gospel just doesn't excite us anymore. Lord, where it becomes something that's just dull and something that doesn't affect us anymore. God, I pray that even as believers, God, that we would, we would recognize, Lord, just the amazing miracle, God, that you've done within our hearts, Lord, in saving us. And God, I pray that we'd go forth and that we would share that glorious truth with those around us. I pray in families, Lord, or that children would be taught the truths of your word. And God, that with, within our communities, Lord, God, that we would look out beyond us and see a mission field, see a harvest field. Lord, where people need the gospel. Lord, where so many people around us, God, Lord, have uh, be, really become inoculated to the gospel. Lord, by false teachings and false belief systems and social gospels and rather than the true gospel. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would use us, God, as your ambassadors to go and to be a lighthouse. And God, to see people saved, Lord, by the truth of your word, by the power of the gospel. God, be with us, Lord. We think of this outreach even this Thursday, Lord. Pray, God, you would use us to reach our community. Lord, to pour into the lives of others. Lord, to be a light, to be a witness. God, to do what you called us to do, Lord. Lord, it all begins at home. Just as you told this man to go home and tell his friends. God, it all begins at home, Lord. Lord, with our families, but also, Lord, with our Jerusalem, God. With this community that you have placed us in, God. God, help us to go. Help us to publish abroad the good news of what you have done. God, we love you. We praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would with me, go ahead and take your hymnal out. Let's turn to number.